Good morning, Ross. Good morning, Anna. Well, actually, no, evening for me. Good evening, Anna. There we go. Ooh. It is quarter to midnight for me. Uh, it's, yeah, quarter to 10 in the morning. I'm ready for morning tea. <laughs> hey, you're getting all bright and early, and I'm like, it's bedtime soon. But no, so just, we'll, we'll just jump right into it, to be honest. Um, because the whole purpose of this podcast is the fact that there are people with ADHD who feel like they can't have success because they have ADHD. Whereas what you've done in writing a book and things and a PhD in literature, which I'm going to ask you more about in a second, that isn't something that I I couldn't do a PhD. And I know there are people, a lot of people with ADHD who are doing PhDs and things, but see actually becoming successful off the back of it so like for example when did you get your phd i graduated in 2009 okay wow and when, and when did you write Don't. your first like it's okay when did you write your first like successful like book uh so my phd wasn't creative writing i was analyzing literature which is what i'd always done and I never had aspirations to be a novelist or a writer in that way. I hadn't done creative writing since I was a teenager. And then I, for a lot of reasons in 2018, I found myself, because I was unable to work. So for physical disability reasons, but also it's all connected to the neurodivergence, I couldn't work in my chosen profession. I couldn't work as a tutor and a lecturer and a researcher at university anymore. I'd realized that it just couldn't happen. So I was at home and so many things happened that I could bore you with, but it would end up taking us an hour. And I thought, well, how about I try writing a book? So that was in um, like January or February, 2018. And I wrote it with my kids. And so we wrote a fantasy dragon you know, fantasy that they would want to read and I did that with them and that's a middle grade novel and then I thought and then we wrote a chapter book as well with Mushroom People that is very, very good. One day you'll see that and then I thought, well, I may as well see what happens next because I had someone asking me for advice on getting published and I didn't know anything about it but because they were asking me, I then researched like the nutter that I am to find out how this all worked because I'd never really heard about how this side of books worked. I only knew about the other side. Um, and then I booked in to a conference where you got feedback from an editor because I really missed that relationship with my supervisor that I had in my PhD where you got one-on-one -on -one feedback from someone who you could trust, knew what they were talking about. So it was someone who whose opinion I would respect, which is really important to me because I don't I'm not good with feedback from someone who I'm not sure about. So um, I booked into this conference and then I realised the middle grade novel was a bit cram. And then I'd booked in with someone who wanted young adult, which I said I would never write because I'd studied it too much. Then they were calling for own voices and I thought, well, I don't have any own voices. I'm white, like I'm boring white sort of, you know, bit kind of, queer and a bit this and a bit that and then I was like oh there's no one with ADHD in a book so I actually thought to myself where are the girls like there's Peter Jackson Peter Jackson it is Peter Jackson 
Percy Jackson. I'm thinking, hang on a minute, what were the cigarettes called? That was, anyway. Then there, so no, sorry. Not so. so then I thought, well, I'll write that then. What was it like as a teenager with, and I had to go back through a lot of, obviously it's a lot of trauma in our, our young adult years on the whole normally. So it was kind of painful, but it did flood out and it came out very quickly in an extremely hyper-focused ADHD kind of way. And so that took about two or three weeks to write the novel. And then I, so that was about 45,000 words of it. And then in the next couple of weeks I put in, I have to hold up my book. I never get to hold up my book anymore. And then I had to go and put in um, some flashbacks to pad it. I needed to pad. I'm like, no, I need something else to make it 50. And then I thought I had to face what I had not put in, which was really painful, which I put into, you know, and then I've got some flashbacks um, to get this all ready to pitch for this conference because I had a deadline. I was panicking. Um, so that's how I then wrote that. But then I read it back and realised she was autistic. So there was a whole process of me then getting diagnosed um, as autistic as well because I didn't know how I could have written that if I, that, if I wasn't. Quite, like I just, yeah. It's it, quite interesting the fact that you wrote a character and didn't realise like part of the uh, character's, well, actually a main part of the character's sort of being uh, was actually very... <laughs> The whole book self-reflective, yeah. but that part you were like, "Oh, I, I hadn't actually held the mirror to that part before." <laughs> yeah, or I saw it, and then I thought, "Well, I'll let this be written in there." And then I got really confused if it would be called own voices, and would that be? Is that deceiving someone if I say it's own voices just because of the ADHD and the queer bit or whatever? You know, is that some kind of a lie if I'm not autistic? And I got really confused. So anyway, I just um, had to go and investigate it and so, then it was all there. So your thing was basically then that you wanted to be a lecturer in that. Yeah. In, yeah. So was that like from a young My age? life goal. Like, yeah, oh, okay. I think, well. You, was it more you had an interest in books and it was how can I use this? I, well, no, the books thing probably happened accident I really loved words I was a really reluctant reader I was never tested for dyslexia but there's a high chance let's say that I'm dyslexic I follow a lot of that um you know it always resonates with me a lot so I really really resented reading for a long time my family's are big they're all big readers and so there was a lot of pressure and I'm a third of four so I was kind of teased as the one who wasn't smart and who didn't read and who couldn't sit still and who talked too much and they were all very reserved and scientific and mathematical and normal. But my mum's a librarian, so I grew up around books and with a love of them. But it, it's like a physical love. Like I loved having them or I love looking at them and feeling them and smelling them. But that didn't mean I actually read them. Like I just liked being around them in like a weird childhood way. Anyway, I did start reading as then as a teenager later I found that I loved the reading. But I went to uni wanting to be a director. And I loved English in high school. That was one of the subjects I really loved. I didn't always do very well, but I really loved it to like way too much. And I found it much easier than other subjects. But then I wanted to do film and TV, but it was very, very high results to get into the course. After I'd like 
bunked off like and gone to Europe. I lived in Dundee, would you believe? I went over, lived in York and worked in hotels and Edinburgh and did all this stuff for a year after high school because I was still 17, you know, and um, at that point when I Wait, finished because I was sorry, a young. You, are you meaning you came over here when yeah. you were 17? Yeah. To Dundee? Well, we'd, my, yeah. My family were back and forth between countries when I was a kid, but this one I was, I'd applied to work in Skipton in Yorkshire. I lived there for three months, but then I, I had a history of running away. I don't think anyone will be surprised by this. I love this, a podcast. I don't have to kind of explain that to anyone. I would run away all the time. So then I'd reinvent myself constantly. So I ran away, did the hotel work. Then I went to Dundee and lived with students, uni students, I wasn't a uni student though. So I was in this giant house with this, you could crawl out on the roof and look out over the Tay and you could, oh, it was gorgeous. And I learned how to drink Guinness. And I, um, oh dear. So it was a misspent time. Yeah. My youth. Fond, I've got very fond memories of Dundee because uh, I was a really? I lived with four guys all in uni and I wasn't, I just worked full time and just, like hung out with <sighs> what worked. Well, my house had eight guys. I thought there you go. <laughs> it was this really tall mansion thing that they cut in the middle and rented to students like on either side. It was bizarre. So one guy had like this massive fireplace in his bedroom, which obviously belonged to a giant living room that was cut in half. Weirdest things happen over in the UK that you'd never see here. Because so everything here's like new you know bizarre and I went to a union oh never heard of that I'd never heard of that before <laughs> that I I went to the union so often that on more than one occasion the security guys just let me in because you had to get signed in if you weren't a student but I was there yeah, so I was with- they just started letting me in because they were like yeah we know but um so to anyone in Australia, that is a bar that belongs yeah. like at a university. It's like a bar and it's a student barish, union. It's, yeah. it's a student union. You go as yeah. a student. It's yeah. where the students uh, basically socialize and hang out. Uh, and before the UK changed their laws on uh, drinking and cheap deals to drink, uh, we uh, used to get it was a pound of drink. Then they said that that was too. It encouraged binge drinking, which it did a hundred percent. It did. It it was people still drink the same amount, they just have less money now. That that's the only difference. But so oh with with that then, when did you decide that you were gonna be right? I'm gonna to go to university, I'm gonna do literature and my end goal is I'm gonna be a tutor. I ran out of money. Like, actually, I ran out of my sister's money because by that point I was then using her bank account that she'd left in the UK from when she was over there working. So I would spent all her money and my money and I luckily had a return ticket. So I went home, tail between legs, and got a job at the service station and worked there for ages. And then I thought, oh, I can't do this forever. I'd better take up my deferred university course. So I that's just when I turned 18. So then I started university here and I did two years of humanities and I loved it and I realized all my grades were higher in literature than they were in film and tv electives 
And so I ditched the film and TV and stuck more to the literature stuff and science history and all these amazing things. I had that amazing humanities experience. I don't know if they have any more. Learned a lot of broad world history, all this stuff, but and worked at the service station. So that's what I did for a while. And then the itchy feet started again and I went back to the UK and uh, so it's probably 1920 by then and worked in a publishing company a bit as an admin. I don't know. I did like, you know, supply work. We go around being admin for people. Oh, it's just I was supposed to stay for a month and I was there for two years, four years, six years, four years. Anyway, I got married and um, I did go back to uni. I went to Brunel and finished my degree. And by then I'd really figured out that I loved the literature. So I was doing English literature at Brunel. I was going to be a teacher. So I got honours. And I'd gone from the, I failed my first essay at Brunel. No, I failed my first essay here to the point where then I met someone who would explain stuff to me when I was over there in a way I understood which was really key. I had I had a mentor come in in my own little, you know, history there who could explain things to me in a way I understood and ended up with first-class honours, which is just like the biggest, most bizarrest thing that had happened to me. I was like, what? Everyone was a bit like, what, Anna? My mum said, I can't quite believe you finished grade 10. So that's, yeah, there were low expectations for me. Which is good, which is good. I like low expectations because then you can only do better. And then I need, then I did a teaching course. See, I like um, when people have an expectation of you, they're like, oh, you are this box, so you aren't going to do anything outside this box. And I remember, I mean, I'm 30 now. If I shave, I go back to being 12. Um, The only thing that gives me away is my receding hairline. But when I was 19 and I had a full hairline and no facial hair, um, I was, I, I worked in a branch and I wore suits that were one size too big for you, basically, and like like, like shoulder pads and things. Um, and I, wore, I had to wear long sleeves. And then someone saw me outside of work. And at the time I smoked as well. And I was at a bar and I had short sleeves on so they could see my tattoos. And the shock on this woman's face, where she was like, wait, wait, you, you smoke? And I was like, yeah. And, and you drink? I was like, yeah. And, I was like, and you have tattoos. Oh, I, I did not know this was the kind of person you are. And I went, I don't understand why any of that matters. But also, I really like the fact that you don't think that I'm like that because I can use this to my advantage now. <laughs> I can now yeah. go in things where people are like oh he's nice and innocent and he's like so polite and he's this but actually I hate this is you're telling my story you're telling my story because oh, I'm, I'm the good girl I look like the good girl right this exact same story I look like the good girl but then if anyone ever sees like my whole back is tattooed nice. and I'll never forget my tutors but I want the difference I want that yeah. I want them to make the wrong opinions of me and I want to it's disturbing the binary and, oh, we'll end up talking about my PhD, but we can get there. But the, but the, I'll never forget when I got my PhD, we were at the celebration thing afterwards with all champagne and it was all posh and I'd misjudged what the gowns looked like. 
So they fall off the side, and I thought they were sleeved. So I had a uh, uh, top on, and I turned around, and my supervisor saw tattoos like coming out over my shoulder and just the look of horror on her face <gasps> it was like a spider was crawling over my back which it isn't but you know whatever <gasps> and I remember feeling I was uh, so upset I'd let her down and I look back at that Anna and say what <laughs> what like anyway I don't worry so much anymore but it took a long time to um, feel secure in other people's prejudices See, I've I've always liked playing other people's prejudices against them. Yeah, like, I've yeah. always liked. Normally, I do. Like if it's me in a in a with yeah. people, friends, and stuff like that, I like that they that they don't quite know how to where I fit because I've got these weird things. But if it's someone in power, I get more nervous. Yeah, uh, I I probably should. Um, <laughs> no, you <laughs> shouldn't. No, you're ahead of me. You, yeah. Well, the the only time I've had it was where I misjudged. Uh, and now I have a tattoo from my knee to my ankle, Spider Man, and I I love it. It was expensive. It was painful, and it's beautiful. Uh, and so after I got it, I started wearing shorts at work, which was totally fine. And people would make comments. And then after a couple of weeks, it, like people weren't making comments anymore, and the comments weren't like. I can't believe you've done that or anything like that because everyone knew me. It was more like, you did what? Why would you do that? Like, I like Spider-Man. I like tattoos. And that's, that's it. Really? And go, oh, okay. But then one of like our senior, senior, senior bosses came in and I made sure I was wearing trousers that day. And the boss just under him turned around and called me over and said, Oh, Ross, Ross, show him your tattoo. And I was like, hmm. now for context, I work in a bank um, and I had, I still had that prejudice where I was like, I work in a bank. I shouldn't have this sort of thing. <laughs> and then I showed him and he was like, oh, that's, he's like, that's beautiful. It's so cool. It's this, this and this. And then he said a line and I was like, oh, he just remember my five-year-old loves Spider-Man. And I'm like, yeah, well, when I was five, I loved Spider-Man too. I'm now 30 and I still love Spider-Man don't really see what the point is but it was the whole fact that I misjudged him as well and I was like oh wait a minute no yeah. it is actually more acceptable yeah. than I'd have tattoos but it is yeah wait so you, you will need to explain a little to me because I am not educated so I didn't go to university or anything so I don't know the path from going to university taking electives deciding a PhD doing that how that works so is it more of a it's natural progression is it a choice it's a choice. It's all that you can do the degree and not do the honours. You can do. So I, mine was a little bit fast and slow in weird ways. So I finished that, do the degree and the honours, which over there is all one thing. Over here it's a separate, two separate qualifications, but it's different in the UK. And then I thought I was going to be a primary school teacher because I was trying to fit that role of the good little wife and who works in a school and I do love I love teaching loved it so I did a PGCE it's called over there the postgraduate certificate in education which is one year uni which is the most the cheat course. like it was a cheat course 
Yeah, but you have to have a degree to do it. So it's like you're the specialist in something and then you quickly learn to teach. You should probably be going to a high school, but anyway, it's the way it was done. England just needs teachers so desperately all the time that they just needed to to do it. Sorry, just but, just a quick tangent. The reason why I call it the cheat course is because my wife is a, a qualified primary teacher. So she went she to did an education for degree four years in four primary years. education. Yeah. And then I have yeah. other friends who have done degrees in other things and then did one year and are now primary yeah, teaching. Yeah, I know. Like, that shouldn't be a thing. But okay. Yeah, anyway, carry on. Sorry. Might go into it. But then, so I, we did that. Um, and then my then husband wanted to emigrate to Australia. So I was like, okay, I'll get back out of mine. So came back here, at which point, I was supposed to get a job. I was supposed to get the full-time job and support us. That was what I had said I'd do. And it didn't happen. So in the end, I and my sister was doing a PhD. So I thought, oh, and she got a scholarship. So, ooh. so she said, yeah, you could get paid. You know, it's not a lot. And then so I applied to do a, hang on, this is why. To teach here with my qualification from the UK, I had to do another two years full-time uni to be considered a teacher here. I'm like, well, how the hell am I going to fund that? You know, I was doing supply teach work, teacher work. You're allowed to do that. So I was doing all this supply work in high schools and primary schools around Brisbane. And then I said, can I have a scholarship for a master's? Because that takes two years and then I can go teach. And they said, yeah, yeah, but you're more likely to get a scholarship if you do a PhD. And then you can hand it in after two years instead of three and just get a master's. Like this is like loophole. I was like, okay, I'll, I'll apply for the PhD so that then I can get qualified as a teacher to go back into teaching. And then to combine my specialties, I thought, well, I'll do storytelling, children's stories. So I'd always done just lit straight literature, but I thought I'll do young adult fiction because then it counts in education and in literature and I'll I'll know how to write it you know whatever and I started with this question of if all if people aren't religious what stories do they tell themselves to get through life so that that was what I was looking at was the storytelling and, and things like that and then I got the scholarship and I got accepted to the course on the day I got pregnant with my first child. <laughs> so my PhD then took instead of three years, and I never handed it in and went back to teaching, I then, it took me six years to finish it. And tutoring pays a lot more for a lot less. So I stayed in the university because it's normally there, like, supporting. You actually put in loads of hours, but it's a lot more at home, you know, marking and stuff mm -hmm. so I then after the PhD so yeah that took me six years I ended up having two kids during that time and building a house and doing all this stuff and I wanted to be a lecturer from the moment I went to university I think because I like to talk and and teach and yeah I just thought that would be amazing and I thought getting published as an academic would be the ultimate thing in my life I don't know when that started I think I love journal articles so much I love journals I would sit in the stacks and just look through journals one after the other partly because I couldn't use the catalogs 
but also because I found it was a really good way to just find unusual articles. And so I just would do that, right? It was a bit of a weird thing to do. And then I got my first thing published and it was like, oh, my God. And I was allowed to just completely hyper-focus on ideas and theories and just tie together the book and the theory and you mash them up and you get this thing. I just have such a buzz from that and I loved doing that. And my PhD just was the world to me and I I loved every minute of writing my PhD. Um, so, But at the end of that, I got divorced and started tutoring to support my kids and myself and um, did that. Anyway, remarried and with some, well, I don't, I don't, I'm giving my life story now. After all of that, the lecturing and tutoring is. is hey, do, yeah. you know what, do you know what's interesting? One, um, I think that's the longest I've ever gone without talking, uh, which is quite an achievement. Uh, really no, no. Well. I, it, it was really good because. I, I was wanting to make sure that when I was doing these that it wasn't becoming the Ross show. Uh, no. I just didn't keep on talking over people. Uh, so, no, it's good that uh, it's really interesting, which is good because it's one way to shut me up. But the it's interesting the fact that you've got... You can be successful. You are. You're a published author in more than one field, apparently. Uh, and it's the... It's not a straight line. It's a, oh, oh no. wait, I was going to do this. Oh, wait, I, I spent my sister's money. Oh, wait, it's, I'll go back yeah. here. Oh, wait. Yeah, and it, following and it, passions everywhere. Yeah, but it's worked. Yeah. And it's the, like, on the other episode that uh, I've done, it's a, a doctor that we were talking to and she was saying how once you become qualified as a doctor you then choose your specialty but you can then change yeah. it at any time which yeah. is good for us because you can go oh actually no I'm not going to do this I'm not going to do this which is similar yeah. to what you've done is yep. you've went I'm going to become a teacher and then you went actually no I, to become a teacher I had to do this loophole but actually I like the loophole so I'm going to stay in the loophole and then due to like physical uh, yeah. those things and then so I combined that back with teaching yeah to tutor so the t- teaching came back in and I love that but then I gave too much of myself into it it became kind of people open up to me all the time and all my students would open up to me with all their trauma and all their lives and I would get caught up in 120 students life and trauma and trying to help them whilst raising children and and I I melted down big time melted down big time it was too much so when you 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 say you melted down big time I take it like things just because I had too much on yeah Yeah. I mean I've I have three high needs children like I was also parenting and I had yeah which I didn't know I had no medication <laughs> through any of this, by the way. I was still undiagnosed, so I did all of that without any medication. And I think the ADHD is is so the PhD just suited me so well because I could do everything I was doing every day and I had one day a fortnight where I then could work. So that was <laughs> and I would... Um, but I could work, I, you know, our output is considerable when we need it to be. Mm-hmm. So the work that I did in one day would match someone else's week of work. Yeah. And, and, and the thinking time, 
the amount of thinking time we put into everything. So I had I had all you know when you're with your kid, you know, playing in the hose and outside and you're thinking that whole time because your brain is still going and that PhD needs a lot of that brain time. I forget that this is a success show. I have to be so one thing I find myself doing a lot is saying I did something and then I get a bit scared that I said that and also my my lighting's gone weird. And then I think oh there we go. I don't want it to be like because I did it you can do it too. Mm-hmm. But but because I did it, it means it is possible and I would love it if other people could do it too if they wanted to. So also, because I did a thing, yes, it's possible, but don't feel bad if you didn't. Do you know what I mean? I don't want, not you, but I mean other people. So if someone's doing something and it doesn't work, well, there's so many factors that played into whether or not it worked. But knowing this and listening to this, they're all Mm. one step further towards getting that. That, that's the thing and that's kind of what I'm trying to put across is it's not going to be everyone has their story and it's a cookie cutter story and you go okay if I have ADHD and I follow the exact same steps that Anna did yeah. then I will also be a successful author it's like, so what I need to do is I need to move from Australia to the UK first yep <laughs> yeah I <laughs> need to drink a lot guys, of Guinness <laughs> <laughs> This is not a formula. This is not a formula. (laughs) But what I can tell you is some things that made it easier. No, that would have made it easier. Firstly, medication, um, I believe, would have made my journey a lot easier. I would have um, spent a lot less time hating on myself. And Mm -hmm. I would have been able to organise myself better, although I learned a lot of skills for working around it. So, you know, there are certain things now I'm very well trained to do that have worked well for me when it came to writing a fiction book in that I know how to format, I know how to punctuate, I know how to, you know, there's a lot I know that they're all transferable skills. So I reckon in the past if a lot of people with ADHD were in trades because you learn that skill and then so if you're a carpenter you can then build this and take those skills and go and build that and you get that movement of like you were saying you can shift the yeah and we I believe I don't know if it's true but everyone I know I know with ADHD needs the variety yeah and yeah that that's kind of the thing it's like I work in a bank and people like that just sounds boring it's like right so I've worked in the same company for 12 years I've had five five different roles there I've worked in probably 15 different locations. <laughs> I've, I, I, it's a massive variety of things that I've done and I constantly need to move and I constantly need to change, um, which is a common theme when I'm talking yeah. to people about that sort of stuff. It's a common theme is everyone needs that variety or at least the choice of the variety. Not like If you were to become a... I'm trying to think of something that's very kind of... An accountant. I know there are people with ADHD who are accountants, but from my perspective, it would be a you become an accountant and then that's it. There's no real progression. I so bet people who love it or people who love their accountancy maybe see the stories. They may see each of their clients as new yeah. stories and new problems to solve. But their way of their their passion is that, and they that's what they see in it. Whereas I would see 
hell. <laughs> and I would fall down on the admin. I always fall down on the admin. I'm, I'd love to write a new database, but I may not maintain it or, you know, an admin. I failed at so many occupations. It's hard to even... But now I've learned, I've learned don't take an RA position where you work for someone else to do their research because you'll, I won't do it very well. And I'm so tired. It took me years. I was, I mean, a long time to learn that I would just let people down and that then I would feel bad about myself. Don't do it, Anna. Just don't do mm-hmm. it. So, I've, yeah, being very fussy about what I accept to do because even though people see skills in me, they're like, oh, you know how to do all these things. Why can't you do that job? to believe myself that actually that would be a really bad idea. I always used to say to people, if you can find one aspect of your job that you enjoy, you'll enjoy your job. And when I was working in branch, it, there were times when it was hell on earth, but there was other times like I get to talk to people all day. Yes, I work with people, but also it's really busy. So I rarely get to talk to the people I work with. Instead, I get to talk to customers and get, and it's short conversations and they get to leave again. And then that's it. I can continue just bothering other people, uh, which was, that's like my, uh, my peak is I just get to bother people. It's fantastic. I love it. <laughs> but one question then, uh, do you think that your ADHD helped on your, obviously it helped with writing a book in like two weeks. Or do you think it was more of a hindrance and actually if it wasn't for that, then maybe this would have happened earlier? Or do you think you would have been on a more like straight to the end kind of narrow? Me writing earlier would have taken basically a different life. I just would have had to, there's so many things that would have had to change about the way I was brought up, the way creativity was constructed in my life till that point. Um, Yeah, I would have had to, to change everything, I think. There's too many things. But it definitely helped not only, so the help bits and the hindrance bits, the help bits, yes, to focus and write that much, but also to then switch and focus as an editor on my own work. So you can, so when you're bored with this bit, you then switch over and start writing and start being the editor and and doing that detail and, and focusing on, it from the outside in as in, with your harsh inner critic that you bring out and I'm very harsh on myself and that's why I polish and polish and polish because and this might be my autistic side which wants it to be perfect and it will never be perfect art is always abandoned it's never finished but to know where that abandoned point is is, is probably something I learned during the PhD the hindrance there's probably more helps than that you get to go researching. So then you, like when you're bored or you have no idea what you're writing, you go and figure out how long it actually takes to drive from that place to the other place. Or you do some factual research or you find out, you know, what would cause a concussion that then would allow someone to go home the next day or what do they do when they're, you know, what's the weather like at that time of year? You find all these things to research. You could, Tangents galore. It's great. It's But you have an excuse to do it. So it's like the Google black hole but it's okay I'm a writer so you have like this excuse to do and whenever you just go out you're like I have people watching you know you have an excuse to do anything this is great I really love that whole life part and if I'm not doing anything at all we say that I'm percolating so if I haven't written for three months yes but in the back of my head I am percolating ideas and I am and that's how it comes out so fast is because I spend so long 
doing the other work where no one can see that that's going on and it's sort of you know, and then you know like if you stop looking for something you find it yeah. yeah but the bad bit i have to say the bad bit otherwise i'll forget and people will be like oh it sounds great i'm gonna go and buy me some adhd um, <laughs> the bad <Sorry>. bit <laughs> is that i might forget to submit things on time or reply to emails or be inappropriate when talking with a professional in the industry. Say what you need to say. <laughs> You're bursting. <laughs> Sorry, I just the oh, the, I, I just want to take sound bites of this and just <laughs> release them without context. <laughs> I can do that. Just, just that. There was two parts. The first part, which kind of made me giggle, was you saying. Uh, in the health part, it helped me focus. Now I want I want everybody with ADHD to listen to that one part and then tell all your family. It's like, what did ADHD help you with in your career? Oh, it helped me focus. Wait, what? But the mm, yeah, it, that's just that. That's I, I forget people don't realize that that's what happens with us. Yeah, but the, you're right. Focus is like I had someone at work say to me, "It's like I don't understand." I can give you something and you can do it in a time that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, because, yeah. but we can also not do it yeah, for a very not. long time. But we need to, I think, if you if you lean into the ebb and flow, if you follow the flux and allow it and trust that it will flow back your way eventually, there's a lot less stress if you just yeah allow that but you need a job and a life and a position to be in to do that which is a which is you know you can I don't know if I'm the motivational speaker who says you need to make that life for yourself where that's all going to happen or if I should be the realistic person who is you know where I'm starting from a position of privilege and even though everything all these things have gone wrong in my life I still had that privilege therefore getting to the place I am now relied on it and I and you can't um there's no bit where you assume someone else is starting in the same position so if I'm a single mum and I'm earning money to support myself with nothing feels what feels like nothing but a dead-end qualification and a you know there's no ability to do anything else I'm still white I'm still educated I still appear straight to people (laughs) and abled Mm -hmm. which is hilarious um so, yeah, I that why did I say what was I saying? Just accepting, just owning up to the privilege that this comes from, and that anyone with it needs to be then um, stepping up and and making things different for those who yeah. aren't. You were speaking about the hindrance side. It's like it means that yeah, as good as yes. it is for the oh. helps. There's the hindrance side. The yeah, the paperwork, yes. the submitting to competitions on time, to knowing which ones, to filtering the information, which competitions should you enter, which, where should you submit things. You've got to do the paperwork to get things in. You've got to make sure you've paid attention to things you just would rather not, like, um, you know, if you've done your cover letter too late and you didn't edit it properly because you were skim reading by then because your brain was twitching because you've gone for too long because you left it too late 
to not showing up on time to something to showing up two hours too early for everything and then being so tired to going to events and then just saying everything when maybe you should not have said all the things oh Anna and the regret and the bit where you say where you do something and then you're like oh no what have I done what have I done a lot of that who to trust knowing who to trust is so hard and I don't know which bit of neurodivergence that falls into for me but any industry any industry is you've got to figure out who who to listen to who not to listen to who to believe who's taking advantage it's really hard I was taking advantage of a lot as a young person so yeah how to stick up for yourself I've had that the thing where you'll have a bad day or someone will ask you to do something and then you'll moan and then you'll moan to a person that you don't normally moan to and go you're not a normal person are you going to be okay with this and then you wait for a couple of days and then nothing happens you go ah, it's okay and then you mention something like later like later on to them to oh by the way see what i was saying the other day and they go wait what I, oh i know or, oh, i forgot what, what were we talking about and then they've you, forgotten <laughs> you've yeah <laughs> All the time, I do this. I do yeah. this. And because I so often will just tell everyone my life, eh, whatever, like details and things about my life, and then later on think, firstly, did they even want to know? Oh, my goodness, why did I do that? And then, uh-oh, you know, what am I? Did I just let out into the world? And part of becoming an author, there was a big release of privacy. So I've always been extremely private, no photos of my kids on Facebook. I was very, very private. Make sure no one ever finds out who you are. Make sure no one ever finds out your real name, you know, anywhere in the world to then saying, you know what? You know, I tried a pseudonym. I was going to have a pseudonym. I was going to be all silent. And then I just thought, Nah, and I kind of lost it with my very first vlog. It's hilarious. This is two minutes of me just going, oh, look, whatever. I'm just bored and I want to talk to someone. So I'm going to try this. And at that point, I just released the privacy and said, look, this is me. This is my name. This is what I'm like. And, and it's been really good for the ADHD side of me of saying, and because I just didn't have time to edit out all the bits where I'm me, <laughs> I had to face them. And I had to say, okay, so that's what that looks like. It will cost me a lot less energy-wise if I just be it and if I don't. And everyone can learn to either accept or not accept. And that's okay. And I have to kind of make sure I remind myself it's okay because people still keep coming back. They still keep talking to me. They'll yeah. come on my chat. I'm like, yeah, but and I'll just still be me and I'm sorry about that if it's upsetting and I'm trying to, you know, whatever. But um, it's been very, very good for self-acceptance and editing myself. It's been enlightening. Sorry. There's, no, 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 it's good. It's the, um, see what you're saying about letting yourself out. And when I started my Twitter account, that was kind of my thing. I was going yeah. to be, I'm not going to put a picture of me. I'll have like yeah. a, a cartoon version of yeah. me. Older. Yeah, I did that, <laughs> and it lasted until the party, uh, until the party started, and then the party when, until the party, and then they're uh, so good. The parties are good. Does everyone know what they are? Like, I could you explain them? 
I, I haven't really spoken about them on here actually. So yeah, the ADHD party on a Friday, 9.30 GMT, every Friday since the 27th of March, uh, 2020. So um, and I've had that where, oh, what if that person doesn't come back? Or someone hasn't came back and I'm like, and there has been the odd occasion where I have actually contacted someone who was like, hi, is everything okay? Did I say anything that was like, are you, and because I am extremely insecure, uh, mainly Aww. because I drink on these parties and I don't always yeah, remember. Yeah, it's kind of said. funny. They're really uh, fun they and are. informative and they make sure that, for me, they stop me making generalisations about our own community and you actually feel in touch with parts of the ADHD community you rarely hear from, They're people that I don't hear from in other ways and you you remember to keep your own idea of ADHD broad as broad as it should be, mm-hmm. and well, it's 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 international. So <laughs> I, they're really. I know I don't I don't come that often, but I'm still what. Ah, we're Sorry. talking about your success. It's not about. Like, oh. <laughs> no, oh no, okay, but that's that's saying, part of my on. research. It's part of my research. I had to uh-huh. ask questions. I came on once. I had a really specific question. I really needed answered, and I actually had people who I could turn to for that and I, don't, I can't yeah. come as much as I'd want to because of the parenting things because for me it's Saturday morning yes at like nine o'clock which with kids is a little bit hard but gee I love it I always think to myself like if I'm lost because sometimes when you're depressed I'm not right now which is really unusual but when you are to think that there's something there that will catch you on that time when you're alone or that event that's coming and you and it, I always know it's on in the back of my head so and that helped. Uh, there's yeah, a safety feeling in that. Oh, no, darling. <laughs> but it's like, it is like thinking, it's okay, I've got that there. So if I needed it, I could turn to them or I could just mm-hmm. be there and they don't care if I don't say anything. If I've got people who will answer my weird ass questions or make that, me feel normal or. That thing is like, kind of a weird one. came on and said, it's okay if I don't talk. And I'm like, it, yeah. It, if everybody who came on talked, uh, it would be chaos. <laughs> Luckily, and we're both talkers, so it's kind of funny. Like, <laughs> exactly. Luckily, I talk the most, uh, so <laughs> it is my own private rushel. But no, it's it it is good, and it it is strange, like the wide variety of people. But there's there's things that I feel need to be kind of kept in mind and it's people's own opinions and prejudices about what they feel strongly about about ADHD so people will be very affirmative about medication for example and there's other people who are not and that's okay you don't have to be yeah it has to be open like accepting the difference yeah in other people's experience Yeah. yeah there's been a couple of instances where Things have been brought up, but we all talk so much that it all gets talked out. There's very really few occasions good. where someone will be, that's it, never ever coming back because someone said something. But I kind of think of it more as like it's a, it's like a student union. Everyone's yeah. in one place. But you we appreciate the bluntness. Yeah, yeah, all the people, my ADHD people, I know, appreciate the bluntness because everything else takes so long if we're really polite. 
Like there are times to be polite and you still have to be kind. You can't be unkind, unkind, Ross, even at work. You need to be kind. <laughs> but yeah, I think that that is it's helpful. Being blunt is being unkind. Oh. <laughs> and do you know, uh, do you know in the book there's another manuscript I'm a go I can't say a lot about. Uh, you know, with first. multiple ADM, oh, didn't hear anything that's um, been written. And I have multiple ADHD characters, but I've got one that does not take or can't take medication, you know, doesn't take medication, and one who does on the whole mostly when she remembers. So I wanted, and so then between them and Peter Lyre, who's straight down the line always does and that's that, what I'm hoping is if I get if I can get enough books out there, can you imagine where there's where there's protagonists with that variety, with that showing that difference as it needs to be, without the judgment on it and just but understanding and seeing what that's like. Because I know people who can and can't and I've you know, I've been through periods of my life where I can and can't and things. So I can't, you know, the idea that that would then be out there in the world is very motivating. And so we need yeah. that motivation factor too. Yep. Would you deem yourself as successful just now? Or would you see your... I, I don't think in terms of success and never have. Okay. I would I find the word quite strange. But then I'm yeah. I'm a very low expectation type person. So I would think if I'm alive at the end of the day, Yay. And then I wake up the that, next that's morning. Low Yay. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, that comes from a life of depression. So I think if I um, keep the expectations low, if I don't, when I do pressure myself, it tends to go quite badly. Mm-hmm. So if you start writing for readers, you know, you, it won't work. You have to write for yourself. You have to write what you need to write. And then you can think about the readers after. Um, in terms of if I just write trying to be as politically correct as possible or whatever, then you end up stumbling a lot. Um, but if I think of realistic representation for me, you know, that it ends up accidentally being politically correct. That's not what we were talking about, success. No. So, I, I, okay, okay, achieving a PhD felt like a success, but... Mm-hmm. I there's nothing in my life that would allow it to look that way as in I was immediately criticized for it in my own family well it's not a it's not like a real one it's in the humanities uh, right oh you mean you didn't study authors you just studied the books like oh my god would you like to read it and find out how why we do that um and so it's immediately I'm immediately brought right back down to earth for mm -hmm. whatever I do um and my kids, you know, they are so excited about the book. They were so annoyed at how long it took to come out, like far out. And I have one of the quickest journeys. They're like, oh, you mean it's still not out? <sighs> so then that happened. But then I once this year at one point, because I was very bored uh, and trapped feeling, because you can't run away once you're a parent, far out, you must stay. So find other ways to run away. Great. So I started live streaming Minecraft, playing games. And then my kid turns around to me and says, it's the best thing you've ever done, mum. Oh, okay. that's so nice. So it was very clear that it doesn't matter if you're a doctor or a published author or an accomplished 
craft and mess maker or anything as the fact that you YouTubed. There you go. Standards. That's it. It keeps you, keeps you grounded. Well, yeah, do, do that. That's what you should do. Everyone should judge success through their children's eyes. Yeah. Or just and, I I just go roll from one thing to another, and if whatever I've done can fund the next thing, that's even better. Yeah. So if I can get enough money to do another one, then that's just if I get enough money to cover my medication for a year, brilliant. <laughs> oh, that's simple. Move to Scotland; it's free. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> no, see, see the thing like success through like the eyes of your children. That that would be great. Except my eldest would only want me to just be my wife that would be it it's like, yeah <laughs> she woke up earlier and went i want mommy it's like but well you got me i'm gonna go back to bed okay that that's fair I yeah understand. <laughs> i get one of one of mine is a daddy's girl and she said you know i love daddy more than anyone she goes i love i love you i love you too but i love daddy you know, like it's all very clear. <laughs> oh, my youngest is, def- is definitely a daddy's girl. Like if I if I shout at her and she gets a row, she'll run over to my wife and then stop like halfway there and be like, I I still want to go back. <laughs> <laughs> but more yep. recently, she's like started to go to her, but it's, uh, it's so funny because it, it, it's very clear that one's mine and one's hers. <laughs> at the moment, I'm... I imagine it's going to change until they're 18 and then they need, like, yes. Dad, Mum says I can't do this. <laughs> but yes. I, I, yeah. It's like, well, My well, older two no longer ask their dad. <laughs> <laughs> my dad. My oldest two don't even ask their dad because they know he'll just ask me. So it's, like, it's no good asking him for anything. He'll just ask you. It's like, oh, now I end up with all the decisions. That's not fair. But, Yes. Did we cover ADHD and success? I don't know if we did. Did we? We covered it in what a counts ADHD as covering way. it. We covered okay. it in a way. We did. We co- we went round about the houses a little bit, uh, which kind of sounds like your journey to it. Yeah. But there's fair enough in your own head. Success to you is making it to the end of the day. Uh, <laughs> but for other people, and following Jane, my passions. Following my passions, I I, I, to have a life where I can do that is, well, it's my only option, I'm afraid, because I just can't, and that mean, if that, you know, that would mean living, and I have, you live on benefits and you can't do anything, but as, you know, and if I can care for my kids, that's essential, Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, if all of that's stripped away, I still just need to make it to the end of that that day, and that's all I need, need to do. And um, the better the if I can leave um, the world even one iota better than I came into it, then then that's amazing. The whole advocacy work is new, but this idea that I could make a difference and that I have and that people write to me now, like if the four people have been officially diagnosed with autism and or ADHD from from reading Peter Liar. And loads more who've understood themselves but have decided not to go the official route. And I'm just like, what? That's amazing. That's way more impact than my PhD. Like my PhD changed me and my life, but the but the novel is, cha- is helping other people. And it's like, 
all I did was like put my pain out there. And but see, that, that's the thing. That's the thing. And you, you touched on it a little bit, uh, a little bubble where you do it for you and it then will help people. If you, yeah. and I, I say this to people on the website all the time, it's like when they, if someone comes up with an idea and I'm like, well, let's do it. And they go, right, well, if we, I'll look into what people want. If they want this, no, no, no. What do you want to do? Do what you yeah. want to do. If yes. it's good, people will yes. come to it. If people don't, it's okay. That's when you change it, but you at least do what you want to do first. And then yep. if you can make it, then you can mold it um, where yep. you need to. But I don't do know if we do people pleasing very well. I don't know. It doesn't last. There's not enough. I I change what I'm doing all the time on my YouTube channel and everything because it has to change or I'm bored. And the minute I'm bored, it shows there's no energy, there's no fun, um, and no one wants to watch that or listen or, or read it if I'm not yeah. engaged, if I'm not curious. Like I have to be curious about the next bit of my writing. I want to know what happens. That's why I write mm. it. I want to, I need to know what happens and how it un, unveils itself with these people doing this thing. Otherwise, I'm not interested anymore. This, but then I'm a pantser, so that's what we do. So curiosity. A pet. Oh, a pantser. So writers are either, on the whole, plotters or pantsers. So a plotter writes, does all their plot, and then they write. They work and, you know, half people are plotters and other people are pantsers where you just start and you see where you end up. Ah. I retrospectively plot. So I do go back and make sure it all fits because if I need to add words somewhere, I'll, I need to put it on the, you know, figure out my story structure. Mm -hmm. But I've worked in literature so long, a lot of that comes naturally. But I do have to not know what's happening for it to be written with some sense of, for it to be good, a yeah, I write with a strong voice, it's called, which is where you're just in a zone, basically. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that's that's me pantsing. Pantsing. Just a funny thing. Sorry, term. okay. I think my family need to come back into their living room now. It's okay. Uh, well, thank you very much for this, Anna. Thank you. Uh, and obviously thank this you. will not be the last thing that we do talk. No, it's too much. It's too much stuff to say. Exactly. I've got all the things.